Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Look, fuck you. Fuck the plane you flew in on. Fuck them shoes. Fuck the socks with the bell on it. Fuck your gay-ass fairy faggot accent. Fuck them cheap-ass cigars. Fuck your yuck mouth teeth. Fuck your hairpiece. Fuck your chocolate. Fuck Guy Ritchie. Fuck Prince William. Fuck the Queen. This is America. My president is black and my Lambo is blue, nigga. Now get the fuck out my hotel room. And if I see you in the street, I'm slapping the shit out of you. Exactly. Thursday, February 2nd, 2012, My Take Radio episode 126. What you just heard was from the Boondocks, created by the legendary Aaron McCruder. Do yourselves a favor, watch the Boondocks, either on On Demand or any of the other local areas where you can get some great cartoons because it is a very underappreciated and underrated cartoon. Simple as that. Call the number 347-324-3541. Call in number is 347-324-3541. Our feedback line, if you want to leave any comments, concerns, hateful messages, swearing, dedicated fuck yous, 347-815-0MTR, 347-815-0687. If you don't want your recordings played on the air, please let us know before recording the message. Again... Three four seven eight one five zero six eight seven. All right, let's get some housekeeping out of the way to start things off. Our Facebook fan page has been holding steady at sixteen hundred fans. Uh, it can be a combination of a lot of things. Some people have left. Some people haven't. Some people posted naked pictures of themselves on Facebook and got the boot. Who knows? But uh, counts have been fluctuating. It is what it is. Those of you that stick by us and support us, we appreciate you. And appreciate everything you do for us. As I mentioned earlier in the show in the pre-roll, you can listen to MTR via the Stitcher app. Obviously, I'm not going to repeat the same fucking thing I I pre-recorded for you guys. But you guys know the deal with Stitcher. Stream episodes of MTR on your mobile devices. And Stitcher.com forward slash my take to get the rest of the info and possibly win a $100 gift card. Our Get Glue check-ins are in full effect as always. Make sure to check in on Get Glue. When they finally figure their shit out, you may get yourself a sticker. So look for my take radio on Get Glue. Uh, my phone was not muted. T-shirts for MTR. You can head over to mytakeradio.com. Click the T-shirt link. You want a MTR hoodie or T-shirt, you can get it there. Our new design process has kind of been put on hold for a plethora of reasons. But you guys know the deal. You want a shirt, that's where you go to get it. If you do any shopping on Amazon and want to help MTR, click the Amazon affiliate link. All the great stuff we talk about on the show, including all the movies we review, the games, gadgets and accessories, and tons of other shit are in our Amazon store. Same reliable service from Amazon, but you'll be helping MTR in the process. Click that link. You can check out the store there. 
And we got some new articles this week. We got some stuff from myself. Andrea wrote up some stuff. Slick has his review of the Archer Blu-ray, as well as a review of one of the episodes from Season 3 of Archer. Ben posted his Fighter of the Month, and there's going to be a ton of other content coming up in the next few days. We also recorded an MTR Behind the Mic this week with Kyle Krause from Nitro Game Injection. That is exclusive to the MTR app and MTR app owners. It will be released to Stitcher subscribers next week, giving the MTR app owners a one-week exclusive period. That's going to be new going forward. Also, we're going to be testing out the pre-taped episodes of MTR starting the week of February 13th and the week of February 20th. As of right now, the next live show will happen next Thursday, February 9th, but the week of the 13th and the 20th, there will be no live shows. If you want to listen to the stuff we are taping, you can just subscribe via iTunes, you can listen via Stitcher, and MTR app owners will also get access to that as well. Basically, what we're going to be testing out is breaking up the show into four smaller shows dedicated to each segment. I figured I'd repeat myself in case any of you guys missed that. So, MTR will have an MMA show, a dedicated wrestling show, one for gaming, one for movies. They're going to run between 30 and 45 minutes apiece, and we'll be testing that out, like I said, the week of February 13th and the week of February 20th. MTR will be live March 1st, so that's pretty much the plan as of right now. Depending on how it goes, we may start implementing more pre-taped weeks in the near future and have live shows on occasion, but it's going to be an experiment and we're only testing it out, so please don't email me flipping out that why is an MTR live this week. MTR is in a testing process. MTR 4.0 should hopefully launch at the end of this month if all goes according to plan. We are going to do a bunch of different things for, for the site and offer some different content as well. If you're interested in writing for MTR, it's not a paid gig, I'm sorry. Um, but if you want to build your portfolio, write for a kick-ass site, have no filter, by all means drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Um, right now we really would like uh, writers that are fans of comics, uh, maybe some wrestling writers as well, just to kind of round things out. Right now, Ben is doing a tremendous job on the MMA side of things, and we're also getting content from our friends at MMA Valor as well, so we got a one-two punch in that category. Wrestling is a little dry right now. Uh, gaming, myself and Slick have you covered. Ben does as well, and Andrea has your TV and movie stuff covered also, but if you're interested in doing it, want to get access to some stuff, by all means, drop me a line and we can work something out with regards to that, and, you know, I toss people that write for us, you know, gaming stuff, movie movie stuff, and simple as that. If we start generating some revenue and you've stuck by us, we're going to make sure to look out for you guys. It's as easy as that. All right, tonight's topics, we're going to talk about UFC on Fox 2. We're going to discuss the Royal Rumble, Monday Night Raw. We got some gaming news and we got some movie news. Uh, the first thing before getting into anything I wanted to talk about this week, obviously it's fucking Groundhog Day, and no other holiday is completely more full of shit than Groundhog Day, if you even want to call it a holiday. For those of you uninformed about traditions here in the United States, basically, 
this giant bucktooth rat sticks his head out of a fucking hole. And if he sees a shadow, you get six weeks of winter. If you don't see, if he doesn't see a shadow, well, I, I fucked that up completely. If he does see a shadow, you get six weeks, six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't see a shadow, then spring will be coming soon. First off, it is complete bullshit. Because, obviously, if it's a sunny day out, the fucking groundhog is going to see his shadow, stupid asses. Clearly, if it's raining, he may not see his shadow. So, the fact is that it's complete rubbish. And the funny thing is, there's obviously the Bill Murray movie, but... In Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, you got Puxatawney Phil. He's like the the mascot of this shit. He comes out, blah, blah, blah. I see my shadow. I don't see my shadow. Some asshole in a top hat is going to hold me up by my ball bag at 6 o'clock in the morning in a place called Gobbler's Knob, might I add. And I'm going to let you guys know if you're going to freeze or if you're not going to freeze for six weeks. If I were that groundhog, I would be eternally pissed that some motherfucker in a top hat sticks his hands in, in, in my little fucking burrow and yanks me out. I would be extremely angry. I wish one day the groundhog would bite off his fucking finger. But that's a story for another day. Anyway, there's another groundhog, I believe, in Staten Island. This guy, he didn't see a shadow... So, spring is around the corner. So, we got one groundhog that says we got winter, one groundhog that doesn't. I say we should settle it in the fucking octagon. Just uh, tape little knives to the fucking groundhog's legs and let him go at it. Two enter, one leaves. The winner dictates which season will survive. Honestly, New York City has been abnormally warm this year. Let's thank Global Warming and Al Gore. Um, because... A few days ago, it was 60 degrees. I was outside in a fucking t-shirt. And the weather's fluctuated between 40 and 50 degrees. So if this little furry motherfucker says that we're going to get six more weeks of winter and it's 60 degrees the duration of this month leading into next month, I'm going to go to Gobbler's Knob and make myself a fucking groundhog hat. Simple as that. The other thing I wanted to discuss with you guys was... um, My wife and I attended a screening this past week. I can't give you details on what it was, obviously, because I'm under embargo. But I did want to acknowledge a couple of things. And that is that the gaming community is... I have a love-hate relationship with it sometimes. First off, Sometimes everybody preaches community and blase blah and we all love each other and we're all awesome. Then there are other weeks where people shake your hand and silently just stick the knife in your belly. So it's crazy because the event we went to, there were members of the gaming community that were invited to this event. We got to see the movie. It was super secret. There were motherfuckers in there with serious high-tech gear to ensure that the movie was not being pirated. But besides that, the typical thing that I complain about with movies is is exactly, for some reason, what happened at a fucking press screening. We're in there watching this movie, motherfuckers are hooting and hollering, and typical shit. Mind you, there were legit critics there from legit news outlets. I was honored and privileged to be extended the invitation. Um... But there were just some people there 
that act that were acting like they've never seen a fucking movie before, just making complete jerk offs of themselves. Um, what can I say? I stifled my rage to not say anything stupid, only because obviously there were members of the press there, and I did not want to make a bad impression. The following day, we had the opportunity to go to a junket to meet with the director of said film and discuss some of the stuff regarding the film as well as a game that ties into the film, which you'll be seeing a review for probably this weekend, if not early in the week. The review for the film you will see next week, once the embargo is over. Fact is, going to meet the director, you would think that people that were at this same screening the night before would do their fucking homework and ask intelligent questions instead of going there and getting themselves a free plate of food and making complete jerk-offs of themselves even further. In my... Put it like this, in, in my opinion, and this is something that um that I've discussed at length with various colleagues in the quote-unquote gaming industry and the gaming community. The fact is that I I don't classify myself a legit member of that community. I don't go out of my way to try and get free swag and, and go to all these events because I have a real job. And when MTR starts paying the bills, you'll see me everywhere. But I'm not going to go to some lame event for a game that I think is going to be complete shit. Sure, you'll shake a few hands, maybe you'll hand out a business card or two, but at the end of the day, if the game sucks, you're going to sit there and, out of gratitude for attending the event, you're going to try and play it off like the game is better than it is. I pretty much consider consider myself and the rest of the MTR family just opinionated observers. We observe shit, we share our comments on it, sometimes it's breaking news, sometimes it's not simple as that, but... This past weekend, just my eyes were open to a lot of just real lame shit and a lot of real fake-ass people. So, I figured I would just share my thoughts on that. With that said, let's just wrap this shit up and get into MMA because we got quite a bit of stuff to discuss, especially with the UFC on Fox. So, let's not waste any more fucking time. Alright, let's get into, I want to just talk a little bit about the prelims and a couple of fights from the prelims I saw. Uh, one heavyweight fight that I was excited to see was Joey Beltran taking on LeVar Johnson. LeVar Johnson was making his debut in the UFC after formally striking, formally fighting for Strikeforce. Um, came in with, with huge, huge pressure on him and delivered a beautiful and spectacular knockout on Joey Beltran. Caught him with a right hand to the temple. Flurry uppercuts, Beltran was out. It was a, a great debut for LeVar Johnson. He has a, a terrific story, and he's just an awesome athlete, so I was very happy to see him win in the Fuel TV prelims. I was also impressed with Michael Johnson's performance. Um, he ended up winning his fight via unanimous decision against uh, Shane Royer. Great fight, great performance from Johnson. Hopefully we're going to start seeing him on more televised cards. I think he has a tremendous upside um, the fight that came out of nowhere and surprised everybody was the featherweight fight with Charles Oliveira against Eric Wisely. Um, Oliveira secured the submission victory with the, uh, calf crusher or calf slicer, depending on, 
on who you call it, on, on who's talking about it. Uh, definitely an awesome submission. Um, very impressed with Charles Oliveira in that fight. He looked really great. George Roop and Swanson, also another fantastic fight that went under the radar. Cub Swanson secured the victory via TKO in the second round. John Olav Inemo and Mike Russo was actually a very, very close fight in my opinion. A lot of people I've talked to felt that Russo uh, performed better, but it is what it is. I think Mike Russo, while he is a, a solid fighter, Inemo just looked to be um, a little bit more aggressive in my opinion. Russo ended up winning via unanimous decision, so I was bummed only because I'm, I'm a big Golden Glory fan. And I was pulling for Inemo in this in this bout, but unfortunately that was a pick that I bombed on. Evan Dunham took on Nick Lentz in the uh, final prelim card from FX. Denham and Lentz, Dunham, not Denham, sorry, went actually all through the, put it like this, into the first round. A lot of people were telling me and a couple of friends I spoke to gave the fight to Lentz in the first round. Uh, I think there were some great exchanges uh, Dunham, Dunham ended up securing uh, the fight, and he ended up landing a lot of great punches closing to close out the first round. In the second, he chased a little bit, and Lentz had some really great counter-punching, which I was surprised of, only because Dunham was such an aggressor, I almost felt like Lentz was going to get caught that way. Turns out that they ended up... Um, Lentz shot in for a takedown in round two and ate a, a huge knee. And um, he opened up a, a cut above, actually from his nose, and he was bleeding from his eye. And they ended up stopping the fight. Uh, the doctor stepped in and said that the cut under Lentz's eye did not allow him to continue in his opinion. So Evan Dunham was awarded the TKO via a doctor stoppage. Now moving into the Fox main card, Damian Maya. Chris Weidman, Weidman was, uh, well, Weidman, I should say, uh, was taking the fight on 11 days notice. Damian Maya, known for his incredible jiu-jitsu, I was expecting this to be um, a setup for Maya to take Weidman to the ground and secure a victory via submission. For some reason, I don't know what was up with Damian Maya, he was, he decided that he was going to exchange standing and, and try and do it, do a striking war with Weidman. That was not the case. It ended up costing him. Weidman secured the victory via split decision. Moving on, co-main event, Chael Sonnen, Michael Bisping. I expected this fight to end viciously for one of these guys. It turns out Sonnen used, tried to use a lot of his wrestling and striking. He tried to mix it up well. Bisping had good counter-punching, though. He looked really good in this fight. But Chael actually looked a little better. He secured the victory via unanimous decision. A couple of people I spoke to felt that Bisping was robbed in this fight. I honestly don't think he was robbed. I think that Bisping knew that Sonnen was going to rely on his wrestling and try to keep it standing. But Chael Sonnen has one of the best double legs in the game. And when he wanted to take Bisping down, most times he did. He looked very aggressive. And a lot of people looked at the strike totals and saw that Bisping, in some areas, was getting outstruck by Sonnen. This, of course, sets up Chael meeting Anderson Silva, which is rumored to be happening in Brazil, so I really hope Chael Sonnen gets himself some security, because he may get killed over there. On the light heavyweight side of things, Rashad Evans, Phil Davis, 
super competitive super competitive fight from start to finish. Guys went the full five rounds, but a couple of things came out of this fight which I'm not surprised about. Phil Davis, young, super talented, explosive, but Rashad Evans is is the wily veteran. The guy's held the belt already. He knows how to play this game. Looked really good in the first and second rounds. Davis definitely in the third started turning it up a bit. A lot of great takedowns from both guys. But again, Davis, while he has great wrestling, I think Rashad Evans has mastered what a lot of people are calling MMA wrestling. Overall, it was just a, a beautiful fight between both guys. A lot of people felt that it was very safe. But in Rashad's case, this fight was going to put him in title contention, and he wanted to go in there and have a good performance, not get hurt, so that he could take on John Jones. So, overall, the UFC on Fox card was very enjoyable, once again delivering uh, great record numbers for Fox, and with that, I want to go right into some of the bonuses that got handed out. Knockout of the night went to LeVar Johnson, which is great. Submission of the night, Charles Oliveira. And fight of the night went to Evan Dunham and Nick Lentz. Each of those fighters took home $65,000. Now, as I said, with Rashad Evans' unanimous decision victory over Phil Davis, he goes on to face John Jones, which will be happening at UFC 145 in Atlanta, Georgia. So... I'm actually excited for that fight. Not to say that I re- I really was pulling for Davis. And when I stopped in in our friend MMA Valor's MMA Pulse show, I did say that I was pulling for Davis because I like Davis. Uh, very explosive, very young athlete. Shows a, a ton of promise. But on the same on the same note, I can say that Rashad Evans and John Jones will do a great job in hyping the fight. Obviously, Rashad Evans' trash-talking is is very good. He knows how to sell this fight, and he's going to work his hardest to get under John Jones' skin. In addition to that, we're try- we're going to see two former training partners under Greg Jackson meet, and the best part of this is we're going to see if youth will beat out experience because John Jones, great striking, excellent Muay Thai, well-rounded across the board. Rashad Evans has wrestling background, uh, He's a veteran, and he's already been a champion, so he doesn't have expectations, so to speak. You know that when Rashad Evans gets in there, he's going to try and give you his best performance. John Jones is going in. He's young. He's got a lot of pressure. He's become the face of the UFC, and with that, I'm sure that he has a lot going on in his mind just trying to get that mainstream appeal for the sport and just conducting himself well. There's huge expectations for him considering that he's so young, and I honestly think that's going to affect his training. But Rashad Evans knows how to play the game mentally, and I think he's going to work his hardest just to get under John Jones's skin and cause him a lot of issues mentally leading up to that fight. So UFC 143... Uh, excuse me, UFC 145, they haven't given a date as of yet, but it will be happening in Atlanta, Georgia. This weekend, though, we got UFC 143, uh, which is huge for the interim welterweight title. We got a couple of fantastic fights on this card. I recommend you guys order and check out. Also, if certain movie theaters will be showing the fight on the big screen, so look out for that as well. And if not, go see it at your local Applebee's or Chili's or Friday's, wherever the fuck you go to get shitty food. They might be giving it there as well. There are two prelim fights that are going to be on Facebook. Uh, Dan Stigian and Stefan Thompson. Also, Rafael Natal is going to be taking on Michael uh, Kuiper. 
on Facebook. So go to the UFC page on Facebook. You can check that out. On the prelims, which are on FX, Matt Brown, Chris Cope, Alex Caceres versus Edwin Figueroa, Jorge Lopez, and Matt Riddle. Max Holloway's taking on Dustin Poirier. You'll be able to watch that on FX. On the pay-per-view side of things, Ed Herman, Clifford Starks, Renan Barrow, Scott Jorgensen, Josh Koscheck, Mike Pierce, Roy Nelson taking on the returning Fabricio Verdum, and of course, Carlos Condit versus Nick Diaz. Now, I'm not going to get into the fight picks for this because I always, either I do really good or I do really terrible, but I will tell you that Condit and Nick Diaz are going to have a war. These guys, they, they're both... They're all big business. I mean, they do their their thing to hype up the fight, but if you've seen the UFC specials, you'll see that Nick Diaz is, is a machine when it comes to training. Nick Diaz is very simple. He comes in, he fights, he gets paid, he goes home. Carlos Condit has a family to support, and he's just trying to go out there and make a statement. Definitely, both of these guys have a lot to gain besides the welterweight title, just in terms of of reaching that brass ring, getting to that upper level. Not only that, but GSP has gone on record as saying that he would like to face Nick Diaz, since he obviously does not like him. And for Carlos Condit, he's really in the role of spoiler right now, and he can he can do it. He definitely can beat Nick Diaz, because on any given day, anyone can lose. But Nick Diaz just has so many more skills. I think Nick Diaz's stand-up is better, in my opinion. He has better boxing. I think Carlos Condit has devastating knees, uh, great striking. But at the end of the day, it's just going to be who imposes their will first. And I think Nick Diaz, he's going to start off a little cold in the first round. Then he's going to go to work in the second. Some people are saying, and even the UFC Undisputed game, which they simulated the fights, they said Nick Diaz was going to win. We'll see what happens. GSP really wants Nick Diaz, and I think that if that fight happens too, that'll be a huge fight for the UFC. I recommend you guys just order it this weekend and find out. Also, something historic is happening at UFC 143. The UFC is officially retiring the Gladiator intro, effectively this weekend. The new 60-second opening will debut this weekend. It was produced by Digital, Dom- Digital Domain, and their set, which is a sister company of Mothership. And it's, gonna, it's rumored to feature highlights from 18 of the UFC's most iconic fights. From what it's been from from what's been circulating through Twitter, a team of twenty artists worked on the opening, and Dana White went went on record as saying that the UFC is heading into a new chapter, and you guys have seen the same show opening for the last nine years with this monumental Fox deal and global expansion. It was about time that we did something new and different. He also went on to say that the intro cost a fuckload of money. I don't know. The Gladiator intro to me has always been synonymous with the UFC. I think it's just going to be an adjustment period. If I remember, a lot, somebody told me that Sean Shirk was the Gladiator man in the intro. I don't know how true that is. If it is, sucks for Sean Shirk, but it also sucks for Stem, who played the music for all those intros, and their royalty checks are probably going to stop. But I think this is a, a bit of evolution for the sport and for the UFC, especially with the whole thing with Fox. I have a love-hate relationship with their Fox intro because they continue to use the NFL music, which obviously you hear that jingle, you think NFL, but the one thing I do have to applaud them for is that they actually, if you've seen NFL broadcasts, you know that they have the NFL robot 
for the UFC. They actually have MMA robots that fight in an octagon. So that's that's pretty cool on Fox's part. Got to give credit for that. Moving on in some other UFC news, they started putting together UFC on Fox 3 already, and that's going to be at the IZOD Center in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Um, right now, some of the fights that have been put together are Nate Diaz and Jim Miller as the main event, which is going to be five rounds. Dennis Hallman is going to take on Tony Ferguson. John Dodson is going to take on Darren Uyanoyama. Heavyweights, Pat Barry, my boy, he's also going to be taking on the recent winner, LeVar Johnson. So that's going to be a fantastic fight. True fireworks there. Carlos Vemela is dropping down to middleweight, and he's going to be taking on Mike Masenzio. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be happening May 5th at the IZOD Center. Our buddy Alistair Overeem has been in the news these last couple of days because of some legal issues. Seems that on January 2nd, Overeem was at a club in Vegas and he allegedly mushed a woman in the face, causing her to stagger back. Overeem was summoned to court and if convicted, he faces a maximum of six months in a county jail and a $1,000 fine. So far, Dana White has told MMA Junkie that... um, He's not concerned about this affecting the fight with Overeem and Dos Santos. Basically, the LA, the Las Vegas police issued Overeem a citation, and this happened at a club called Excess. Dana White uh, actually shared some comments on the situation. I'll share them with you guys. First off, he went on to say that I don't think he's in that much trouble. This isn't a situation where he beat somebody up. I don't think that's the case. He had to use the restroom, according to what I've heard, and security was going to take him. He said, I don't need security, and sure enough, he goes over there, and according to his side of the story, some lady started yelling at him and swinging at him and everything else. Obviously, he probably mushed the lady out of the way, and that's what ended up getting him in trouble. Here's the funny thing with fighters, especially in Vegas. Everybody's looking for a quick payday, and I think Overeem is going to learn from this that if security wants to escort you to the bathroom... You're going to let security do their job because anybody can say that he slugged the woman or that the woman got a black eye or that her jaw got broken. Facts are facts. When you're an athlete in the public spotlight, everybody's looking to make a fucking payday. And I don't even doubt that she came screaming at him and he just mushed her out of the fucking way. He's like, yo, get the fuck out of here. Probably would have done the same thing. But I can also understand the fact that it's Overeem. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll escort you to the bathroom. And he, and he probably is like, look at me. Who is going to fuck with me from here to the bathroom? And sure as shit, somebody did. But I'm hopeful that Overeem will get that shit handled. And he can go on to face Junior Dos Santos. I think that this is something that he doesn't need at this point. Especially if he's trying to do training camp. Six months in a county jail is not the move. And honestly, what fucking cuffs are they going to put on him anyway? Last two things of MMA news to close things out. The Federal Trade Commission has closed out their investigation of Zufa's purchase of, of Strikeforce. The FTC published a letter this past Wednesday according to MMA Junkie. Which stated the following. Upon further review of this matter, it now appears that no further action is warranted by the commission at this time. Accordingly, this investigation has been closed. That's great news for Zufa. Now they can move on. They can move past this and worry about what they're going to do with the Strike Force brand. So kudos to them for getting that taken care of. Lastly, Dana White, it's fight week, of course. You can expect a ton of commentary from them. 
uh, from many people in, in the UFC, but Dana White is always very vocal. And one thing he discussed this week was John Jones making the move from light heavyweight, where he is the, currently the champion, obviously, to heavyweight. John Jones has said publicly that he would like to move up to heavyweight before the end of 2012. He feels that since he's accomplished so much in the 205-pound division that he would like a new challenge at heavyweight. Dana White went on to say, it's going to happen eventually, but I don't think it'll be happening this year. There are still guys there for him to fight. He's still young, so I'm not interested in, in him fighting at heavyweight this year. Seriously. One thing I got to say with regards to this is that I like John Jones, but sometimes he speaks a little out of turn. I think that there are still a ton of prospects at 205 that he can deal with and he can have some exciting fights with. Not only that, but you still have Anderson Silva. Let's say he gets past Chael Sonnen. You, is he, he's beaten everybody in that division. At that point, if Anderson Silva beats Chael Sonnen, he needs to go up to light heavyweight. He needs to go up to 205 and we need to cash in that fight with him and Jones. Seriously. It's really that simple. John Jones, I understand. He wants to be challenged, but unfortunately, oh, looks like we experienced some technical issues there. My apologies for that. It obviously feels like Skype decided that I shouldn't be doing the show any further, and they hung up. So we are back, thanks to Slick for the save as usual. But... As I was saying, John Jones moving up to heavyweight, he needs to take care of 205 first. I think it's a little presumptuous of him to assume that he hasn't that he's proven everything he needed to in that division. I think there's a lot of credible contenders in that division, and frankly, we still got to prepare ourselves for Anderson Silva possibly moving up to 205. We'll see how that pans out. All right, there's no need to take a commercial break. We're just going to jump right into wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! My generation, I'll take the fall. The saints, no cross the nation, and it's a sin to come to face the fraud that messing with me. All right, let's start with the Royal Rumble. There was uh I'm going to I'm going to start things off by saying that the Royal Rumble was tremendously fucking uneventful. Tremendously. This is one of the flagship events for the WWE, one of what I like to call the core four. You got WrestleMania, the Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam. Those are the core four big pay-per-views. And you would expect that leading into WrestleMania season, it's um you know, it's bullshit that they wouldn't take a flagship pay-per-view like the Royal Rumble and really go all out for it. Not only because of the importance of the Rumble and its its build-up to WrestleMania, but just because of the history behind the event. This was the 25th Royal Rumble. You expected them to go all out, and I just felt very underwhelmed. I'm just going to go through the matches and share some thoughts on I'm not going to beat it up too much. Uh, the opener was the World Heavyweight Championship Steel Cage match. Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, and the Big Show. Typical big man, little man match with pretty much Daniel Bryan getting abused for the majority of the match. Daniel Bryan, though, 
using his smart to actually retain the title. He was actually held above the cage by the Big Show, and he fell to the mat and retained the title. Now, there's a couple of things I didn't really like about this match. Obviously, Daniel Bryan being booked as the heel, I really didn't feel there was going to be a tremendous amount of chemistry in this match. I think Mark Henry and the Big Show mesh well together. They're big guys, you know, 500-pound dudes. You know they're going to beat the fuck out of each other. Daniel Bryan, is just, it's, it's a typical David versus Goliath match where he's going to use his smarts to win, and everybody knew that it was inevitable that Bryan would retain the belt. Mark Henry's wrestling injured. I'm sure that the Big Show, they're already preparing him for his alleged match with Shaq at WrestleMania. So it was a no-brainer that you know he was going to keep the belt leading into next month's pay-per-view. We had a Divas Tag Team title match with the Bella Twins, Beth Phoenix and Natalia. They were facing Kelly Kelly, Eve, Alicia Fox, and Tamina. Match was exactly what you what you would expect. Complete garbage. Moving on. Kane, Cena, their singles match, definitely super violent, very aggressive. They ended up going, pretty much throwing the match out. Kane went and killed Zack Ryder dead, which of course is all leading up to Cena embracing the hate. Allegedly, this match is going to get, you know, this feud is going to get put to sleep at the Elimination Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, and I really hope it does. Frankly, the Elimination Chamber is what I should start calling the bathroom from now on because, seriously, that pay-per-view is either extremely shitty or extremely awesome. And when I tell you guys who's involved in the Elimination Chamber for SmackDown, you'll agree with my assessment, and that is going to be a spoiler, so I will warn you guys to fast-forward or to take your headphones off or go in another room when I spoil that for you guys which will be happening on SmackDown tomorrow. They threw a singles match in there with Drew McIntyre and Brodus Clay. One, to get Brodus on pay-per-view. Two, because Drew McIntyre has absolutely no charisma. If anybody thought McIntyre was going to win, you are out of your fucking mind. Clearly, this was another squash for Brodus. Coming in, doing his little entrance and his little dance. You guys know the deal. WWE Championship match, CM Punk, Ziggler, John Laryngitis was your... uh, Special guest referee. If you expected shenanigans, much like everybody else did, they definitely did tease it a couple of times. But the match actually was surprisingly good. Punk and Ziggler have tremendous chemistry. I think that these are two guys that will probably be main eventing at WrestleMania in a couple of years as well. Punk obviously is destined for WrestleMania, but Ziggler has a tremendous upside. Great athleticism. He's a natural heel. The match worked from start to finish. CM Punk retained, and um, I was pleasantly surprised. I I really thought they were going to screw Punk out of the belt, so I was very happy with the outcome. Royal Rumble match, number one was The Miz, number two was Alex Riley. Riley got eliminated, three was Truth, yada, yada, yada. Primo came in, he got eliminated, Justin Gabriel. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all this fucking bullshit. The only thing I will say is Hacksaw Jim Duggan popped up. Booker T popped up, Karma went in there and fucking killed everybody dead, and she got eliminated, the Road Dog popped up in there, uh, the Great Kali, and the big tease was that we expected Chris Jericho to win, everybody was assuming Chris Jericho was, one of, was gonna win, I of course was one of them, WWE threw everyone a curveball, congratulations guys, you actually did something right, 
And they gave the Royal Rumble victory to Sheamus, surprisingly. Very impressive uh, performance from Sheamus. He actually eliminated Jericho at, at elimination number 29. So Sheamus is your winner of the 2012 Royal Rumble. Fast forward to this week's Raw. This week's Raw was interesting for a couple of reasons. Triple H was going to be there and he was going to review, give Johnny Ace a review. And depending on how it went, he was most likely going to get fired. We get a little bit of a Royal Rumble uh, tag team match. Um, The funny thing is that we had a couple of things in this particular episode of Raw that were really, really well done. And then there were some shitty things. First off... The Elimination Chamber for Raw was announced. CM Punk would be defending against Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, R-Truth, and Chris Jericho. Now, before anybody gets on their high horse bitching about some of these people involved in this match, please take into consideration the following. CM Punk is currently feuding with Dolph Ziggler. That works. Kofi Kingston had a tremendous performance at the Royal Rumble. That works. The Miz and R-Truth have their beef, which they'll probably close out at the chamber. That works. And Chris Jericho was the last guy that almost won the Rumble. That works. Besides, you need to involve somebody in there that's tremendously athletic, like Kofi Kingston or previously Rob Van Dam or any of these other guys, because you want to have some really great high spots, and Kofi Kingston is good for that. The night before in the Royal Rumble, the guy did a handstand to save himself from being eliminated and walked on his hands back to the steps to get into the ring. If that's not athleticism, I don't know what the fuck is. Anyway, Daniel Bryan came out to interrupt CM Punk. They ended up making a match with Daniel Bryan against CM Punk, which is phenomenal on multiple levels. These are two excellent workers excellent wrestlers with tremendous work rate, and you knew this was going to be a fucking classic, so I was pumped for that. Randy Orton faced Dolph Ziggler. Wade Barrett was in the skybox, giving a little bit of commentary, watching the match. Another great performance from Ziggler. He actually made Blandy Borton look really good in this match. Um, I'm surprised that there wasn't any interference to keep Dolph Ziggler strong, but it's all good. Orton looked great, and you got another... Five-star performance from Ziggler as well. Brodus Clay took on Tyler Rex. What'd you expect? A fucking squash. CM Punk and Daniel Bryan was, from start to finish, amazing. If I actually went through this match in detail, that would probably take another 30 minutes of show. It was hard-hitting. There was great chain wrestling, awesome counters, fantastic storytelling, great sells from both wrestlers. Um, CM Punk... And, and Brian is a match that I can probably watch main event or WrestleMania next year. The ending came with Chris Jericho being involved. He secured the victory for Daniel Bryan by attacking Brian first, then delivering the code breaker to CM Punk. Clearly, there goes the beginning of that feud. We know where that's going to go. WWE announced during that broadcast as well that they were inducting Mike Tyson into the WWE Hall of Fame. So, congrats to Iron Mike, he's given us some really great wrestling moments, and he's going to make a great celebrity inductee. Kofi Kingston faced The Miz in what was surprisingly a good match. These two guys work well together. I think Kofi Kingston is going to start being groomed for the upper mid-card, and 
honestly, I think he belongs there. I mean, with Evan Bourne MIA at the moment and the tag team division in the fucking toilet, you might as well do something with Kofi. As I've always said, though, his mic work leaves a bit to be desired, but he's tremendously athletic and a great performer. We got a Divas Championship match with Eve and Beth Phoenix, which was a fucking squash. Of course, Kane comes out. John Cena comes out and attacks Kane, goes fucking crazy, beats Kane to death. We see shades of Brubaker John Cena, which if you don't know what that means, do yourselves a favor, look up John Cena as Brubaker, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Our main event promo of the evening, uh, John Laryngitis comes out, he's talking the bullshit, Triple H comes out, has a fun little promo with him, at which point the gongs hit, and who do you think is coming back? The Undertaker. Clearly setting up The Undertaker and Triple H at Mania. He comes out, walks to the ring, looks at the WrestleMania sign, looks at Triple H, throat slash. Triple H pats him on the shoulder, though, and walks out. Clearly, you're going to have The Undertaker trying to get in Triple H's head to secure himself that rematch at Mania. Two things I really hope happen this time. Number one, The Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame. Number two, he fucking retires. 20-0 is a solid number. You don't need to go 21-0 or 22-0. 20-0 is perfect. It is fitting. There's nothing wrong with it. When Triple H patted The Undertaker on the shoulder and walked out, he didn't acknowledge the WrestleMania sign. He didn't acknowledge anything. What he did was he emphasized what he said in his promo with John Laurinaitis that he's in that he's moved beyond personal issues and he's going to go back to running Monday Night Raw. Somehow The Undertaker is going to factor into Triple H not running Raw and leaving Laurinaitis in charge. I will tell you this. The Undertaker looked like he had a fucking wig on. I don't know why his hair looked so strange. So strange. I don't know what his deal was. It really did look like a wig. But um, we'll see what happens. I mean... Undertaker's matches are super formulaic, and at this point, another match with Triple H, while it's good for storyline purposes, it's really not doing shit else. Simple as that. Last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up. The Rock will be appearing a couple for a couple of episodes of Raw. According to the PW Insider, he will be at the Raw in Portland, Oregon, February 27th. The Raw at Bo- in Boston, Massachusetts, March 5th, Cleveland, March 12th, and Atlanta, March 26th. The Rock is done with all his film commitments, and he's in super hype mode for WrestleMania, so we're going to see a lot of appearances by The Rock, hopefully not via satellite, leading up to his big showdown with John Cena. Our favorite wrestler and the man who does the intro for the wrestling segment these last couple of weeks, Booker T, is moving into author, releasing his autobiography called I'm coming for you Nick now let me stop uh his autobiography is going to be called can you dig it sucker Booker T from prison to promise so be on the lookout for that Booker T shares uh his life story including his time as WCW champion television commentator his tag team with his brother in Harlem Heat um the let me read you the description As a six-time world champion, TV commentator, and holder of over 35 major titles in WWE, WCW, and TNA, Booker T. Huffman knows what it means to fight. He learned long before he entered the ring when daily survival was a fierce battle. Booker T. from Prison to Promise details Huffman's struggles from his youngest years, 
losing his father at only 10 months and his mother at only 13. Booker was forced along with his seven siblings to navigate life alone, wrestling with hunger, poverty, and criminal influences, leading, of course, to the greatest mugshot ever. He struggled to survive in urban Houston and soon spiraled out of control, gravitating towards gang life and ultimately landing in prison. Finally confronting himself while incarcerated, Booker made a promise to rise above crime and hopelessness, to accomplish greater things and become an agent of change in his community. From anonymity to stardom, from rags to riches, Booker T takes us on his journey from prison to promise. Of course, they close it out with, can you dig that sucker? Like I said, I think I'm co- I'm coming for you. I'm I'm coming for you. Nigga should have been a better title, and then just star out the letters and just have like N star star A at the end. That that would have probably made a lot of people laugh. But nonetheless, I think Booker T has a has an excellent story to share. And one thing I've learned with wrestling biographies is that it's great to hear all the stories about these guys as professionals. But when you get some insight into their lives and also how they survive on the road, you get a little bit more, you, you get more appreciation for the craft. I mean, Mick Foley, Mick Foley's written countless books already detailing his career and they're, they're always phenomenal reads. Chris Jericho, Bret Hart, even Batista's book, Kurt Angle's book, which is a favorite of mine, uh, The Rock, you, you get so much more about these performers and you appreciate them just a little bit more when you realize that their larger-than-life personas are only one facet. It's just uh, going to be a great read. I think Booker T's book is going to be a great read. And I'm dying to hear about him robbing the Wendy's, which led to him being arrested and creating the memorable mugshot that all of you love to see today. If you've never seen it, do yourselves a favor. Go to thesmokinggun.com and look up uh, celebrity mugshots, and you can see Booker T's mugshot it is, without a doubt, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's terrible to make light of some of his hardships, but that fucking picture is hilarious. Now, as I said, now comes the portion where I recommend you guys fast forward, pause, walk out of your room, go to the bathroom, whatever, because I'm going to spoil SmackDown for you guys. The SmackDown Elimination Chamber, which will be announced tomorrow, was originally going to consist of Daniel Bryan, Wade Barrett, The Big Show, Cody Rhodes, and Randy Orton. Later on, they named Mark Henry as the final participant, but for some reason, he ended up getting suspended indefinitely. Now, the funny thing about this is, Mark Henry's battling tremendous uh, couple of injuries, knee, groin, and I believe one other injury, so I can understand the indefinite suspension. Now, you would think that in suspending him, you would get another great performer in there that would fill that that last slot. The performer that will be taking his place is the Great Kali. I'm not even joking. The Great Kali will be taking his spot in the Elimination Chamber. Obviously, they're going to start with all the, oh my god, how are we going to make a chamber this big for the Great Kali? The Great Kali will wrestle for three minutes maybe less, hurt his knee or hurt his hip, and that'll be it. The only way that I can see this being successful is if they announce the great Kali and somehow he gets attacked by someone who inserts themselves into the chamber. The great Kali in the chamber is going to suck 
tremendously. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. He cannot move at all. So this match with him involved is gonna suck. Simple as that. Alright. Well, that wraps up the wrestling segment. I'm actually gonna take a commercial break because I need a drink of water. We will come back with video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. Alright, let's talk some games, because there are quite a few things to discuss this week. Um, I do want to talk about Prototype 2, and I know Slick will be helping me out with that. So, let's get right into it. First off, Nintendo's going to start things off with video game news this week. Last week they had their investors call, and Satoru Iwata gave out a couple of interesting tidbits of information I wanted to share with you guys. Number one was the fact that he said that there will be a new Super Mario game coming to the 3DS. This one will quote-unquote feature side-scrolling action. He did not give any further information about the game, only that It will be released during Nintendo's next fiscal year, which starts in April. Iwata also stated that he believes that there is still room for handhelds only for gaming, judging from the 3DS's sales. This was his statement. Last summer, when the sales pace of the 3DS was slow, there were extreme remarks saying, with the penetration of smartphones, will there be a market for handheld hardware? Which was almost equal to, handheld hardware is not necessary anymore according to Iwata. He went on to say, I believe we proved that such opinions are incorrect. Now, I will say the following. The whole reason why people were discussing the death knell of handheld gaming is because you fucking guys put out an expensive console with 3D reboots of games that we've all played. You guys haven't done anything to solidify yourselves with original titles. All you've done is 3D remakes or 3D interpretations of shit we've already played. So, if you were concerned that people thought that it was the death knell of handheld gaming, I don't blame you, because honestly I thought it was. Mobile gaming has a lot more engaging titles, and frankly, they were putting out more original shit than Nintendo was at one point. Now Nintendo has priced themselves competitively with the 3DS, and they're putting out solid titles, which, with the, re- with the release of the PlayStation Vita, is what they needed to do. So I'm glad to hear that they're going to start, you know, seeing the writing on the wall and releasing new stuff. I mean, Kid Icarus is coming out, and a brand new Super Mario first-party title, but it's going to take more than that, I'll be honest. He also gave people some news about the Wii U as well. He said that the U.S., Europe, Australia, and Japan can expect the console for the year-end season. So you'll probably be seeing the Wii U in October or November. In addition to that, 
He went on to announce the Nintendo Network, which I discussed last week, which is their equivalent for Xbox Live. According to him, the network will cover competitions and communication among users as well as sales of digital content. The Nintendo Network will be for both the 3DS and the Wii U, which I discussed. He also went on to say that they will be adding near-field communication to the Wii U's WiiPad, as, as it's been titled as of this moment. For those of you not familiar with the with the near-field communication, it's what's being used for the Skylanders games. So you'll be seeing that in the Wii U Wii Pad or Wii U tablet controller. According to what he said, near-field communication will let companies possibly use real-world objects in-game. He also mentioned that the, uh, that the near-field communication technology will be used for credit card payments as well. Near-field communication has been used thus far in cell phones. I've seen a couple of cell phones that are using it for the Google Wallet. And honestly, I actually purchased a new cell phone which is going to have near-field communication in it. So I'll be able to give you guys a little bit more feedback on NFC once I mess with it. But adding things like near-field communication and all these little... uh, technological enhancements to the Wii Pad, as it's being called, remains, you know, it's great, and I'm glad that they're doing these advancements, but I continue to say the same thing. These advancements and this technology will not make a console that's going to cost you $250 or $300. It is impossible. The Wii U, at best, is going to have a $400 tag, maybe a $450 tag, and we're not even discussing how much other tablets are going to cost. I believe you're going to you're allowed to use two tablets with the console, plus any existing Wii accessories. So, for argument's sake, let's say it's $400, and a new tablet is going to run you maybe $100, $125. That means that this console is going to run you at least $600. It's as simple as that. I don't know if it's going to be something that's going to make people shy away from such a product, but Nintendo's known for coming out of the gate with 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 certain things that really get people to jump on board. They did it with the with bundling games with the Wii. They did it with Wii Sports and and the balance board, the heart rate monitor, countless bullshit that Nintendo just throws at people and people accept. So I know that they will move some Wii U consoles but i'm just so concerned about what they're going to price it because as i've as i've said before you run into that situation where you're risking alienating a large portion of your audience especially the children the child audience because parents aren't going to want to shell out 450 or 500 dollars for their kid to play on this new console when they can pick up a 360 or a ps3 for substantially less simple as that In other Nintendo news, we got a new color for the 3DS coming out. That's going to be Pearl Pink. The pink 3DS will be coming out on February 10th for $169. Originally, they had released a pink 3DS over the holiday season, which was bundled with Nintendogs. But now they're going to be selling it by itself on February 10th for $169. The UK will also be getting that model and also an ice white model they'll be getting. As of right now, nobody's mentioned the Ice White model debuting here in the U.S., but if you want to get your little girl um, a 3DS and she likes the color pink, February 10th is your date. 
Now, the next bit of news I feel that, and a lot of people have agreed with me, is that this particular company is using a game as a selling point for another game only because they don't have faith in this particular game's success. Now, the company I'm talking about is Capcom, and the game I'm discussing is Dragon's Dogma, which is due in May. It's going to be coming out in North America May 22nd, and Europe is going to get it May 25th. Now, the funny thing is, Dragon's Dogma, I've seen a little bit of it. It's kind of gone under the radar quietly, and I'm sure it's going to it's gonna sell... You know, it'll probably sell well if it's a solid game, but here is the kicker. Capcom has announced that when you buy Dragon's Dogma in May, you will get a demo. You will get demo access for Resident Evil 6. The demo will be accessible July 3rd on Xbox and September 4th on PSN for PSN users and September 5th for European PSN users. So we've seen this before with Crackdown. So while Crackdown was a fun game, the big selling point obviously was the Halo pack-in. Capcom is doing the same thing. I don't think that Dragon's Dogma is going to be a poor game. But by including a Resident Evil 6 demo with the game, it almost guarantees that a solid sales a solid sales total will go into a substantially better total. That's pretty much it. You're going to end up paying $60 for a Resident Evil 6 demo and a decent Capcom game. At least that's how I see it. I'm not saying that the game is going to be shit, but... For companies that decide to go this route, it's usually because they want to pad the numbers of the title they're releasing. If you disagree or, you know, want to debate that, by all means, 347-324-3541 is the call-in number to discuss that. Moving on. In some Sony Vita news, which I figured a lot of you will get a kick out of, a Sony rep has confirmed, according to Shaq News, that if you purchase... PSN games via via download instead of via physical copy, you're actually going to save money over the physical counterpart. The rep confirmed the following. I can confirm there will be a discount on the downloadable PS Vita titles from the PSN. Now, I have a couple of issues with this. If you're going to dedicate this entire thing to downloadable content and you're going to give people a discount then why waste your time with physical media? It's as simple as that. I mean, if you're going to emphasize discounts on downloadable copies of the games, then why waste your time creating a physical copy as well? You're going to go through all this trouble packing the shelves, and yeah, physical media will sell. But if you're going to give people a discount for buying the downloadable version of the game, why... Why not just go that route in the first place and save money on packaging and overhead? It's as simple as that. If you want to do something different and you want to give people a hard copy, why not just sell um, you know, the access cards like they sell for PSN and Xbox Live? That way people can just redeem the card for the game. You can put that in retailers and save yourself packaging and unnecessary headaches. What's going to end up happening is people are going to want to save money and you're going to see countless titles left on the shelf. Simple as that. Now, the next bit of news I want to bring Slick in because Slick was with me at Comic-Con to discuss, to see this particular game and I know he's going to want to share his thoughts on it. Slick, what's up, dude? 
What's going on, Slick? Uh, after you told him about this, I just got more excited for the game, especially since oh. what I'm seeing, it's, it's not cost, costing people anything more. All right. Well, I didn't I didn't tell people what the game was, and that was Prototype 2. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, as as to, for those that aren't aware of what Slick is talking about, they're releasing a special Prototype 2 edition called the Radnet edition, which is going to be, according to Activision, super limited. It's going to give fan, fans 55 free pieces of additional content delivered over the course of seven weeks following the game's launch. You're going to get in-game mutations, avatar items, videos, and a ton of other shit. Console gamers will be able to get their hands on this April 24th. PC gamers, though, July 24th. Now, Slick, you've researched this further. You're a fan of Prototype. What do you got to add? Well... Like you said, it's 55 pieces of digital content, which from what I saw in the video, the developers are saying that over seven weeks, like each week they're going to unlock a certain amount of missions that don't entirely have any, they, they don't have anything to do really with the main story, but they're like little challenges that will give the players additional things to do, you know, to extend the, the play life of the game and everything you know, challenges where, you know, there'll be leaderboards and stuff like that. Plus, like you said, for the 360, it'll unlock, like, additional avatar items. And for the, the PS3, it'll unlock additional um, themes for the, the PlayStation 3 desktop. And, um, like, you can get up to five additional abilities from the game. Apparently, GameStop is... is offering another ability just for pre-ordering. Plus, you get um, behind-the-scenes developer videos of, you know, the making of the game and everything, which, you know, may or may not have anything to do with if there's going to be a prototype 3. The um, the way they're doing it, it, it's really, like I said, this is what I like to see when the developers are trying to get you to pre-order the game. Because it's not uh it's not the prototype two fuck you in the ass give me forty more dollars edition. It's still sixty bucks. It's giving you additional content just for pre ordering the game. A solid amount of additional content because anybody who's played prototype one knows that even five side missions in the game can really kick your ass. 55, that's that's a lot to get for free. That's true. And the fact that you're getting all these other things, you're going to get additional abilities that you'll be able to use in the main game. You'll get, you know, additional things for either your 360 or PS3 that based upon what console you get it for. And apparently there's, it says there's an ultimate in-game unlockable reward, which they'll announce in March as to what the hell that is. And um, just really, I want to see this promotion succeed because it'll be something that will be copied if it does succeed. Obviously, I I personally think that all this content will be available to all gamers eventually, but that the people who didn't get it as a pre-order will probably have to pay for it. So 
it'll be that incentive to pre-order. There'll finally be a reason for GameStop to really be like, hey, you want to pre-order this game? True. If you don't, if you don't do this, you'll, you'll get it later, but you got to pay for it. I'm giving it to you for free. It'll finally be a reason for GameStop to really be beating you in the head for a pre-order. This is true. Right now, that's the other thing. I looked around after I watched the video on the prototype website, and GameStop is the only retailer right now that's saying, if you pre-order this right now, you're guaranteed the RadNet content. The other retailers, it just says you're pre-ordering Prototype 2, which I'm not saying it doesn't mean you're getting it, because if you're pre-ordering it and you're getting it on launch day, you're probably guaranteed it either way. But GameStop is the only online retailer that's saying you're going to get this content if you pre-order right now. Right. Plus, you're getting, it's called the Biobomb Butt Kicker, which is some additional shit that they're throwing in. Well, the the crazy thing is, with, with Prototype, I think that going this route and including so much stuff, not that the Prototype series needs a push, but I've always felt that it's always been hidden in the shadow of Infamous. If you remember when the first Prototype came out, it had... You know, the, the, you had that solid gameplay of Infamous just thrown in its face, and Prototype just came along, and a lot of people acknowledged that it was fun, but they never really gave it its just due. So I think that going this route and really trying to solidify themselves as just a different game is going to speak volumes for their success. Not only that, but giving people so much stuff is going to incline them to get more value and go with the Radnet Edition. I'm going to disagree with one thing that you said. Prototype does need a push because it by no means did it do poorly. And I'm speaking as a fan of the game. First of all, the big thing for Prototype for me was the story. The gameplay was heavily repetitive. Right. And honestly, and it was no real surprise if you looked at it because it was made by the same people. The Prototype won was basically Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction for the, the original Xbox with a smaller character. That is true. There were a lot of shades of that. And, I remember playing that game, so I can definitely see the comparison. The only difference was that in Prototype, you can't destroy the buildings. And the five abilities that you're going to get from the Radnet Edition, more than likely... I'm so, again, I'm saying this as a fan of the game, will be 100% useless. I'm not saying that they, they, you won't use them, but you won't need them to get further in the game. Right. They'll just be fun to use. Like, one of the five abilities, even all five of them, might be somebody's favorite way to kill people. But they will not be necessary for the actual gameplay. Hmm. Because the, the abilities that they give you are more than what you need to finish that game. Well, in, I played the first one, and I really enjoyed the first one. I uh, There were certain facets of it that were extremely enjoyable. Just, you know, the, those, those moments where you just wanted to run around and destroy the entire city and kill everything. But when we played the second one at Comic-Con, it almost felt in some ways, like a brand new game. 
Well, they're going strong with the concept that that um that the dude uh, Sergeant Heller is very different from Alex Mercer. Like Alex Mercer, for for one thing, thought he was a human being until like the end of the game. Right. Heller knows that he's a monster. And he knows he wants to kill the monster that made him a monster because that monster also killed his family when he was a human. So right. he knows what he is. He knows what he has to do. And just from the videos, you can tell he's going to be doing the same things that Alex Mercer did in Prototype 1, but he has a different set of tools. And it's a lot more extreme than, than prototype, even prototype went is, that makes any sense and it really doesn't. But they also have like, they're going more into the underground layer. Like in prototype one, there was a point where there was a slight low in the, the infection and right. they figured everything went underground. Heller going underground into these layers and fucking everything up. Yeah, I like I like that. So, yeah. Go ahead. I'm just saying it's it's trying to it's literally trying to take it a step further. It's not trying to be like a lot of sequels where it's just more of the same. Well, I'm excited for the con. Whether it works or not, I don't know. I'm excited for for Prototype Two because they really harness the power of the systems that are that are gonna get this game. A lot of times you see sequels to games and one of the things that helps them stand out is the the graphical improvements and the fact that the publishers have learned to harness the strengths uh, the strengths of these consoles. Looking at prototype the way we did, do you feel that that still applies or do you feel that the game just there was more time behind it and it, and it allowed the 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 publisher to Put it to polish those areas that part one was lacking. Well, they definitely putting more time into it because unless you had the PC edition of Prototype, there was like a painful difference between the cutscenes, which were absolutely beautiful, right, and the gameplay, which was honestly the the graphics at that level were like a step above. Xbox. They they weren't quite 360 or PS3 quality. They weren't bad, but again, it's like for some reason people always wanted to compare that game with Infamous, which they were two totally different games. I agree. And the gameplay graphics of Infamous, for lack of a better terminology, shit on um, prototype. There you go. Well, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about while I had you on here was Gotham City Imposters. Uh, they've, they've actually been doing a beta of the game, but it's now officially been announced for release February 7th on PSN and then the next day, February 8th on Xbox Live. Were you at all interested in checking that out? I mean, it, everybody talked about it when it was mentioned during the release of Arkham, of Arkham City, but I always felt that it just felt like something that was just using the Batman license and giving people a different spin. I didn't I haven't looked too much into it because to me it looks like DC's version of Marvel superheroes. Okay. And I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it seems like 
it's more aiming towards the younger audience, which, again, is perfectly fine. You, you gotta, you're not gonna get the the young audience with Arkham City and Arkham Asylum, so you gotta get them somehow. I agree. But it, it's like, it seems sort of like it, it's trying to go more of the the MMO route of the the um, again of the Marvel superhero game and. Again, that's perfectly fine. That's, that's not for me, just because I try to stay away from those games because if I start playing one of those games, I'm going to lose my job, and then I won't be able to pay the monthly fee to play the fucking game. Well, you know, it's funny because... And, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is DC Universe Online, when it went free-to-play, became you know infinitely more popular. I think that the thing with Gotham City Imposters is that they wanted to take the Batman license and do something completely different but make it accessible to a brand new audience. From what I've seen and from from what people have told me, they say it's very fun to play, but a lot of the people that were talking about the Gotham City beta have, you know, switched gears and a lot of them are playing the Twisted Metal demo and you know, the, the the Gotham City beta has kind of fallen by the wayside, the Gotham City Imposters beta. I really need to look at the Twisted Metal demo because the last time I saw that, I'm, I'm not, I know you are, I'm not a big Twisted Metal fan, but my biggest gripe with it was it looked like a PlayStation 2 game. Yes, from what I I've been... Disgusted. Go ahead. I was disgusted. From what people have been saying, though, the, like what you saw and what they've been playing looks amazing, I've heard. I don't know. I put the demo to download earlier, but i got to clear out some space on my PlayStation 3, as we discussed, because it's full of shit. I don't know what the hell is taking up so much space. But, I mean, I would really hope they have improved the graphics, because if you have a game that's like open-world driving carnage, and you can't make it look right on the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox 360 when a game, a little game called Burnout Paradise came out, like, what, three or four years ago? Yeah. And that game was beautiful. And there's something really wrong with your programmers. You need to fire all the motherfuckers. Well, David Jaffe has been super excited, and a lot of people are saying great things. Until I get my hands on it, I've, I'm going based on streaming footage and video I've seen. I mean, it looks promising, and I think just giving people that, that, that trip down memory lane will will help for a while. I think that the car combat genre for a little bit was a little oversaturated. So maybe bringing back a franchise that kind of put things on the map is what the genre needs at the moment. Because you notice the car combat genre kind of got quiet after, you know, um, what the hell were those two games? Shit. Not Burnout. Uh, Split Second and the other one. Fuck, what was the other one called? Um, Pure? Was it Pure? No, it wasn't Pure. It was another game that kind of played like Mario Kart. I know the game you're talking about. I can't, I can't think of it because I... Blur. too much... Props, oh, yeah. props to Strider Cage for that. Yeah, Blur, and, you know, you remember that it was Blur, and then it was, you know, people were, you know, they had a DLC for Burnout, and then you had Split Second, and, and everybody was just going crazy, and I even think that there was a uh, a Rush, a Rush game from Rockstar at the time, or whatever the fuck that series is called. So, 
it's kind of it's kind of awesome that the car combat genre kind of had a lull for a little bit because this allows a game Midnight Club. Thanks again, Strider, in the chat. Um, for a game like Twisted Metal to kind of give that genre a shot in the arm, I only hope that because it's um, single platform that it can be as successful as some of these multi-platform games. We'll see. We'll definitely see. I just like to to wrap up what I was saying before. I really hope that this promotion for Prototype 2 moves a lot of pre-order units and actually sells because it'll show people like the Modern Warfare and everything that you know you can make a shitload of money and you know stop fucking us customers in the ass with eight million downloadable contents for like ten bucks each. Makes sense. Give us a good product from the get go because we we actually talked about this before when we said that people are gonna start releasing incomplete games. Yep. This is a complete game with extra stuff that will be more than likely available to everyone at some point, but later on they'll have to pay for it. This is saying, if you commit to our game early, you'll get all that stuff that we would normally fuck you in the ass for, for free. Makes sense in my book. I say I say that's, that's win-win, because the thing is, they're, they're saying right from the gate, this is content that will not be available to you when you get the game. It is going to come out over the course of almost two months, but if you pre-order the game, you get all of that shit for free. I have no problem with it. Like I said, I'll probably pre-order that edition. I mean, if it's priced, you know, it's if it's priced well, I don't see any reason not to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Since it's since it's priced well, I don't see I any reason not to. Extra edition, but right now that's the only edition that that's out. It's sixty bucks or sixty bucks. Fuck it, I agree. All right, my friend. Anything else you want to add? No, like I said, I just hope it does well, so you know, people like the the Call of Duty people can stop fucking us. It'd be <laughs> really nice. There you go. All right, brother. Thanks. Makes sense to me. We'll see what happens. I mean, like I said, I'm going to pre-order it. 55 pre- free pieces of, of DLC works for me. All right, man. All right, my All right, dude. Peace. Peace. All right, last bit of gaming news to tie things up. A lot of people have been asking for this, and your prayers have been answered. The Simpsons arcade game is coming to PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. For the 360, you'll be able to pick up the game tomorrow. Well, it's after midnight here in New York City, so you can pick it up today. It's going to run you 800 Microsoft points. PlayStation Plus users will be getting the game for free on Tuesday, February 7th. If you're not a PlayStation Plus member, it will run $9.99. For those of you looking forward to the Mass Effect demo for Valentine's Day and you don't have Xbox Live Gold, you will get... Xbox Live Gold Access for a limited time. BioWare says that when the demo is released, you will get limited gold access. The demo for Mass Effect will be single-player mission set early on in the campaign, and if you've activated the online pass for Battlefield 3, the demo's multiplayer component will be accessible right away. If not, you'll have to wait until February 17th to access that component of the demo. 
That's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. Let's get right into the movie news. Movie box office totals are going to open things up this week. Liam Neeson's The Grey was number one this week, doing tremendously well. $20 million to start things up. The film had a budget of $20 million, so it has already broken even everything and now will be profit for this film. Underworld Awakening slipped to number two, $12.5 million. It's made $45 million domestically, $58 million worldwide on a $70 million budget. Katherine Heigl's One for the Money, another shitty movie from her, $11.8 million. Um, A lot of people are saying that this movie saw a bump in box office revenue because of a Groupon promotion. That's how that's how much Katherine Heigl sucks that the only way people go to see her movies is with Groupon. Anyway, $11.8 million for that. Red Tails dropped to number four, $10.4 million. It's grossed $33.8 million on a budget of $58 million. Sam Worthington's Man on a Ledge, number five, $8.3 million. It had a $42 million budget. The Tom Hanks, the uh, Tom Hanks. <laughs> sorry about that. Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock drama, extremely loud and incredibly close. Seven point one million dollars, twenty-one week, uh, six-week total of twenty-one million. A lot of people were turned off by this film due to it referencing nine eleven. A lot of people that I know here in New York spoke poorly about them using nine eleven in this movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't say if it was for better or for worse, but a lot of people have tons of negative feedback for it, and I've heard it a lot these last couple of days. George Clooney's The Descendants, it's grossed $58.8 million domestically. It had a budget of $20 million. Mark Wahlberg's Contraband dropped to number 8, $6.5 million. It's made $56.4 million, and it had a budget of $25 million, so it has been successful. The 3D re-release of Beauty and the Beast was number 9. Haywire was number 10, four, with $4 million. The film grossed well, $15.3 million domestically off a $23 million budget. Ladies and gents, that's your top 10. In keeping with the news about The Grey being number one, the director of The Grey, Joe Joe Carnahan, is being eyed to direct the reboot of Death Wish. For those of you that haven't seen the film, it starred the late Charles Bronson, um, who was a Manhattan architect that goes on a killing spree after some criminals um, killed his wife and attacked his daughter. Of course, it was super popular. It resulted in a ton of Death Wish sequels. As of right now... Joe Carnahan will be doing the remake, which he confirmed via Twitter. He said, guys, I'm doing Death Wish, but this version is a reimagining of the book and set in present-day Los Angeles. So, you'll be seeing something completely different. As of right now, that he hasn't discussed who is up for the role of Paul Kersey. The only actor he would like to portray that role is uh, the great actor Frank Grillo. Which, um, Frank Grillo was also in Prison Break. He was really good in that show. Um, 
He said on Twitter, guys, I was writing a role for Frank Grillo. Nobody said that Paul, that Frank would be playing Kersey. Relax. So, honestly, I think Grillo would be a good Paul Kersey, and I'll tell you guys why. It's because you want a, a, a non-well-known actor for that type of a role. I mean, for Charles Bronson, it was a great role. It really made him more famous than he was. He had done a couple of films here and there before Death Wish, but... That was his breakout role, and I think that for a reimagining or a remake of Death Wish at this point, you should do another actor that will have that same potential to break out with this film. I honestly have no no real opinion on a Death Wish remake, only because they did a film similar with Kevin Bacon a while back, which was very well done in my opinion, and... Frankly, yeah, you could do another you could do the Death Wish remake and and go that route, but is it really necessary? I can't say. I mean, Joe Carnahan, he did a really great job with the A team and I have no problem with his work on the Gray. So, we'll see. I'm going to take a wait and see approach with this film for the moment. In some other sequel news, Deadline is reporting that Matthew Vaughn has signed a new deal with Fox to direct a sequel to X-Men First Class. So, be on the lookout for that. James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are expected to return as Professor X and Magneto. Uh, Again, I don't have issues with this sequel. I mean, if you're going to start creating a new universe based on the first class series, then let's really not continue to force acknowledgement on the other X-Men films. I mean, it was cute when you guys did it for this film, but if you're going to create this brand new offshoot then keep that universe isolated. Simple as that. I have no problem with Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy returning to reprise their roles. On the contrary, Michael Fassbender, in my opinion, was excellent as Magneto. McAvoy hit and miss. I honestly felt in a lot of scenes he was actually outacted by Michael Fassbender. So it's great to see those guys getting another opportunity and Matthew Vaughn to continue the story of the first class of X-Men. In some other comic news, Platinum Studios is going to be bringing the comic book series The Weapon to the silver screen. The Weapon, for those of you that don't know, is about Tommy Zhu, who discovered a a means to create solid objects from light. He went on to create a superhero persona to promote that ability, calling himself The Weapon. Not believing the legends his grandfather told him as a child, Tommy Zhu's inventions unsuspectingly make him the target of a millennia-old assassin cult that's convinced he's unlocked the ancient mystical techniques of the Order of Wuxi, the way of the weapon. As usual with most comic adaptations, I don't have issues with it unless they really do a shitty job. So, once again, wait-and-see approach. I have no issue with this particular series. I always like some of the more violent books to be brought to the silver screen. I mean, I really enjoyed Wanted, but sometimes they do terrible work, and it's happened in countless other films, so we'll see what's up with the weapon when I get more information. Now, we got your What the Fuck movie news of the evening. If you remember a couple of months back, I mentioned that Hasbro was working in bringing some of its brands to the silver screen, one of which was Candyland. And, of course, many of you sighed and expressed your disdain. Well, here's this for an update. Hasbro announced via press release that their film adaptation of Candyland has moved from Universal to Sony. 
it gets better. Adam Sandler has signed on to produce and star in the film. The company is in final talks to develop the live-action take on the board game with Columbia Pictures and Sandler's Happy Madison Productions. Kevin Lima, who did Enchanted, will direct the film with Sandler and Robert Smeagol writing the script. And of course, Columbia brings you the hard sell, which is this. Candyland is more than just a game, said Columbia President Doug Belgrad. It is a brand that children, parents, and grandparents know and love. The world of Candyland offers an extraordinary canvas upon which we create a fantastical live-action family adventure film with a larger-than-life part for Adam. We are thrilled to partner with Hasbro and Happy Madison on this project. Of course, they got to say that. Let's 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 go through the list of shit wrong with this film. A film based on a board game. Sure, it worked for Jumanji, but it's fucking Candyland. Number number two, Adam fucking Sandler. I don't care what anybody says or what the fuck they. Adam Sandler has lost his comedic edge. He is not fucking funny anymore. Five, six years ago, yes. Now, dog shit. Every film he does is bullshit. He's in that same stage that Eddie Murphy was in where he's going to do all the family films and we're going to do the films where we play seven different characters. That's the stage he was in. And clearly we know how it worked for Eddie Murphy. Sure, it put some money in his pocket, but he became a shell of his former self. Adam Sandler is the same fucking way. Every piss poor movie he does, casting all his stupid ass friends, Rob Schneider, we're looking at you. Kevin James, we're looking at you. The fact remains, Adam Sandler needs to go back to his comedic roots that made him great. Doing all these films, yeah, it's great for a paycheck, but all it does is sully a resume that you've built with great comedic roles. Let's not talk about some of those other bullshit movies you've done, like Little Nicky which was the beginning of the end. Sure, Grown Ups had a great reception, but you know what? Your lackluster comedic ability was hidden by guys like Chris Rock, who made you look fucking good, and David Spade. Kevin James and and fucking Adam Sandler, funny? Get the fuck out of here. And don't even talk about the one where they were pretending to be gay, and you tell me that that shit was funny. That shit was meh. And I do, I'll give acknowledgement to Strider in the chat. He said Eddie Murphy was funny in Shrek. And I have to admit, Eddie Murphy was funny in Shrek. It was one of the few family films that he really was allowed, allowing his comedic ability to shine. But you also have to take into consideration his work on Shrek was based off chemistry with Mike Myers. Eddie Murphy worked well because he was in an ensemble cast. Carrying a film by himself as of late has not been working. Same thing with Adam Sandler. His solo films, shit. His ensemble cast can hide his fucking flaws. Candyland as a concept is fucking stupid. They're talking about it being more than just a game. If you go to any child nowadays and tell them if they've played Candyland, they're not going to know what the fuck it is. Why? Because you can't play it on your iPod, you can't play it on your iPad, it's not on Xbox, it's not on PlayStation 3, it's not on the Vita, and it's not on the 3DS. Nobody knows about fucking Candyland except old-ass motherfuckers like me and Strider and Dark Helmet and Slick and the majority of our listeners that are in their 30s. 
or late 20s. Seriously. Who the fuck knows about Candyland? It's, it's, it's terrible for me to say, but let's be real. Nobody knows about that shit except us older guys. Well, older guys and gals. It, it's ridiculous. And Hollywood co-signs to this shit in Hasbro... It's bad enough that they decided they were going to do the Stretch Armstrong film, which, by the way, is going to happen, but without Taylor Lautner. But the fact is that besides that steaming pile of dog shit, we got this Candyland shit. I got an idea. Why don't you just go and take all the board games in Target, put them in a shopping cart, and roll them into the fucking film studio and say we're going to make movies about everything? Why don't you just make a movie about Hangman? How about that? Let's do a a psychological thriller about Hangman where a guy is held hostage like in fucking Saw and if he can't solve the puzzle, he gets hung. Roll credits. It should be fucking five minutes. Seriously. I'm I'm horrified that they're proceeding with this Candyland shit and that Adam Sandler is on board. Fuck this movie. Fuck Adam Sandler. And if you don't like it, (laughs) fuck you seriously Candyland Adam Sandler I'd rather fucking shit in a diaper smear the shit on my own face and make funny faces in the mirror it will be more amusing than this steaming pile of garbage that Hollywood is gonna crank out fuck them fuck Adam Sandler too in some TV news, the CW has cast a lead role for the DC series Arrow based on Green Arrow Deadline reports that Stephen Amell from Hung and also he was in the Vampire Diaries will be cast in the lead role as Oliver Queen. The show's synopsis is described as follows. Oliver Queen is a 27-year-old reformed bad boy who after, after having spent five years shipwrecked on a tiny, brutally dangerous island in the South China Seas returns to town a different man, or to be more specific, a tortured, thoughtful master of the bow with a ferocious determination to make a difference. Development for the show has been moving at a rapid pace since the CW picked up the rights and they're trying to get back into that whole Smallville vibe with Arrow, so be on the lookout for that probably this fall. The film community and the comics community has been in an uproar because DC Comics will be publishing Watchmen prequels this summer called Before the Watchmen. They're going to be a four to six issue miniseries that are going to follow Rorschach, Night Owl, The Comedian, Dr. Manhattan, Silk Spectre, Ozymandias, and The Minutemen. The events of the miniseries obviously will take place before Watchmen, but they're also going to do a two-page backup story called Curse of the Crimson Corsair. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, who are the creators of Watchmen, are split on the project. Gibbons is given his blessing. Meanwhile, Alan Moore called DC shameless for doing the project. Now, the funny thing about this is that we all know that the prequels, the prequel comics are either going to be exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. Now, the reason I I mentioned this in the movie news is because Watchmen has its own cult following. Personally, I felt that Watchmen was one of the one of the better mature rated comic book films. I think that the subject matter was very mature. The story was very well done. But for those that aren't hardcore comic fans or aren't severely educated in the genre, they found it to be plotting and and too methodical. 
And by putting out these prequels, you're opening the doors for a potential prequel series dedicated to these characters. I think out of all of them, the one with the potential to get uh, the big screen treatment is going to be Rorschach, only because his character is the character that everybody loved in the movies and people just picked out of the books as a favorite. Sure, you could do stuff with the comedian who's kind of cool. Dr. Manhattan, even though I feel that another movie with Blue Dick floating around is not going to do well, but Rorschach's character probably can have his own standalone film. We'll see how these books are in terms of success, and we'll see if Hollywood decides to rape and pillage that. Last but not least, to wrap things up, I've been mentioning that they are working on the Evil Dead remake. Originally, Lily Collins was set to be one of to play the lead in the film. She has since departed the project, but Shiloh Fernandez has been officially cast to play the new male lead in the Evil Dead remake. So, besides him having a terrible name like Shiloh, he is going to be stuck being associated with a remake of one of the most iconic horror films in that I've seen personally. Evil Dead is expected to begin production in New Zealand and is scheduled for a release date of April 12, 2013. Here's the thing with Evil Dead. Evil Dead falls into that horror comedy genre that very few films have mastered very well. Besides being a launching platform for the very awesome Bruce Campbell and leading to exceptionally more humorous sequels, I think that while an Evil Dead remake which has gotten Bruce Campbell's blessing is a no-brainer given Hollywood standards, I just feel I just feel that if you try and make it too scary, you're going to lose certain aspects of what made Evil Dead great. On the flip side, if you try and make it too funny, then it's going to lose that horror aspect that made the original one a classic as well. So you really have to tread carefully with this. And the success of this film, personally, I feel is going to be fucking dog shit. But Hollywood is at a stage where we're going to just continue to see countless remakes. We already know that they got RoboCop in, in the making. And at this point, Evil Dead is going to get the remake treatment. I don't know, man. I, I like Evil Dead, and it should just be left alone. I felt that Army of Darkness was a great swan song for the film, and it should just have, they should have just left it at that, but Hollywood's looking for that quick payday. Don't worry, though. There'll be plenty of time to beat up, the, to beat up this film before the April 12th release date. All right, ladies and gents, that's the show for tonight. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 126 for Thursday, February 12th. 2012. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or have any questions or concerns, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com is the email to use. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, hate mail, feedback, dedicated fuck you, whatever you want, 347-815-0687, 347-8150-MTR. If you don't want your voicemail played on air, please make sure to specify that. When recording your message. Social networks. We're on them. Twitter. My Take Radio. MySpace. My Take Radios. MySpace.com slash My Take Radio. MySpace just can't seem to fucking die. <laughs> Become a fan on Facebook. Hit that like button. Just look for My Take Radio on Facebook. 
Got any questions? Don't want to use a voicemail? Don't want to send an email? Head over to Formspring, formspring.me forward slash mytakeradio. And if you're on Google+, Plus, add us to your circle. We're going to try and do more Google Hangouts in the near future with our fans. Google+, Plus, just look for My Take Radio. Want the MTR app? It's $1.99. Allows you to get 96K stereo versions of the show, in addition to exclusive content including MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic. The app is $1.99. It's cheaper than Starbucks and cheaper than a fucking Big Mac. So do yourselves a favor. Support MTR. Grab the MTR app. It's available in the Amazon Android Marketplace and also on iTunes. If you feel like being cheap fuckers, you can always listen to MTR on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, the Zune Marketplace, and also via Mixler. You can also find us on Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y if I'm correct, and also on Miro. I think that should cover it. We will be debuting on a new platform very soon. And you guys are going to really enjoy that. So, I'm out. I'll catch you guys next week. And, uh, I don't know what the outro music is going to be for this week. But, um, oh hell. Let's just go with what, with what works. And that is going to be this.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.